Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you all, and haven't we had a great morning so far of worshipping our amazing God? Well, this morning, we are talking about rejoice, pray, and give thanks always. Are you serious? Let me just share a little story that happened a couple of weeks ago. My seven-year-old son, Sam, many of you know, delightful child that he is. Well, this particular day, he was extremely delightful. He was rebellious. He was disobedient. He was rude. And it can go on and on and on. It was that bad. And I was throwing up my hands at wit's end. So this child, because of his behaviour, had a number of consequences applied to him. Firstly, he was really looking forward to making a cake with me. So I said, well, I'm sorry, Samuel, because of your behaviour, you are not going to make the cake tonight with me. Secondly, you are going to bed early, 6.30 tonight. And thirdly, he was looking forward to his sleepover in my bed, which is a tradition we do when David is overseas. He missed out on that as well. So things were not looking very good for my young Sam. 5.30 the next morning, shuffle, shuffle, shuffle beside my bed. The drawers beside my bed are slowly pulling open. I open one eye and say, yes, it's Sam. Of course, 6.30 at bed at night, he's going to be up early the next morning. Well, I was one step ahead of him. I had hidden the TV controls. (laughs) That's what he was looking for. The TV controls, well, they were not in the drawers beside my bed. So he soon gave up and I went back to sleep. Just after six o'clock, I thought, hmm, I better find out what is this kid up to? So I went out into the family room and there he is playing beautifully with these magnets. I thought, oh, yay. He looks up and he says, good morning, mummy. I said, good morning, Sam. You're in a happy mood today? Yes. Wow. Well, seeing you have woken up so happily, why don't we make the cake together now? And he looked at me and he said, Mummy, can I tell you something? I said, sure. He said, you won't get cross at me? And he looked up at me with those beautiful brown eyes. Oh, my goodness. And he said, Mummy, I've already made it. He's seven. I went, raced up into the kitchen and I thought, oh, you know, he might have just put the mixture in the bowl and, you know, the bowl was empty. I looked in the oven and there, sure enough, in the oven is the cake half risen. I said, did you put everything in it that needed to go? Yes, mummy, I read the instructions. It was a packet mix, don't tell anyone. (laughs) I've read the instructions. Now, this cake was for the ladies' Bible study that morning. Well... You know, I tell you this story because even though I probably should have been really mad at him and, you know, he could have burnt down the house, who knows, he gave me such joy. And it was a real answer to prayer because the day before, I was at my wit's end and I didn't know what to do with him and I'd cried out to God, how do I deal with this kid? And the other thing was it gave me such a feeling of thankfulness to God for the blessing that Sam is to us. So this year, God has been laying on my heart the need and the benefits of following Paul's instructions in 1 Thessalonians 
5, 16 to 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now I can read that in two ways, with emphasis or without emphasis. With emphasis, it actually sounds quite different, as there are actually a number of absolutes that we could quite easily just gloss over. So let me read it again. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. As I read this in January, I was quite convicted and had to examine myself. It dawned on me that I haven't been living this joyful life always. I don't pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances? No way. I sure do a lot of complaining. I've dis- <laughs> Thanks, David. I've discovered that it's not as simple as it reads, and yet, if we follow Paul's instructions to the Thessalonians, I do believe that these three instructions can be some of the most rewarding and life-changing things to do. Notice how joy, thanksgiving and prayer have all been interlocked together in this command. For us to have joy, we need to be thankful. If we follow God's command to give thanks in all things, we will be joyful people. If we have joy in our own lives, then others around us will experience joy as we naturally reflect it. If we live in perpetual communication with our Lord, our supply will never be depleted. So let's start with joyful always. I love that little girl's smile. Be joyful always. Is anyone joyful always? And so why does Paul say always? And is this actually possible? The definition of joy in the Oxford Dictionary is great happiness or delight pleasure or extreme gladness. Well, I don't know about you, but if we base our understanding on the Oxford Dictionary definition, I think I would have to say that this is impossible and that Paul's request to be joyful always is almost unrealistic. There are many times in our lives that we are not experiencing great happiness or delight. There are times of mourning, like it says in Ecclesiastes. There are seasons in our lives that we struggle great trials and struggles like varying degrees of illness and a loss of a job, loss of loved ones, financial struggles, relationship breakdowns and conflicts, failing an exam. The list can go on and on. So in these seasons, joyful always, if we interpret joy as happiness, does seem to be an impossible reality. If, however... We look at the Greek word for joy, it is chara, which is the awareness of God's grace, favour and joy. In this light, joy as a Christian is that overwhelming sense of gratitude and gladness of God's amazing act for us that while we were still sinners. As a Christian, that doesn't change. It is the one constant that we can rely on. He died and rose again, saving us from our sins, and we now live in a restored relationship and have the promise of eternal life. I've just got a little experiment 
I would uh, like to show you. I'm not going to juggle it, don't worry. I'd be watching out if I was you, Ben. All right. I want you to watch very carefully. You ready to catch Troy? Because uh, you might be in trouble there. All right, watch very carefully the egg. See what happens. Okay. Now, just to prove that it can happen again with perhaps a different force on it, I might get someone to come and help. Now, this particular person I'm going to call up has an amazing tennis backhand. I, I reckon even a tennis backhand can do the same thing to this egg. So, Sarah, would you come up and just show us a tennis backhand? Oh, now look at that. Even, even with a tennis backhand. Now, this demonstration is known as inertia. Inertia is the ability to remain unchanged. The egg didn't fly off with the plate, did it? As I hit the plate, the egg resisted the force against it and it stayed in that vertical position. As Christians, this is Paul's encouragement to us to be joyful always, that is, for our joy to remain unchanged despite the hard knocks and slaps that life sometimes dishes us out. So no matter what circumstances come across our life, be it poverty, sickness, loss of a job or even death of a family member, we are still called to be joyful always. It is through these trials that we, with conviction, can say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is his joy given by the Holy Spirit regardless of our circumstance that is our strength. John, Jesus said in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our joy is not complete unless we remain in him. One of my favourite passages in the Bible from Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, things are looking pretty bleak for Habakkuk here. Yet, regardless of his circumstance, regardless that there's no food, there's no sheep in the pen, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. When Paul gave the command to the Thessalonians to be joyful always, they, like Habakkuk, were actually experiencing severe suffering and great opposition to their faith from the Jews. In spite of their suffering, they welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. However, when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he had great concern for them and had to ask them, what has happened to all your joy? Galatians 4.15, you'll find that. They had lost their joy of their salvation due to legalism. Could this possibly be part of the reason why we sometimes struggle to live joy-filled lives? Sadly, in my own life, I have taken for granted what Jesus has done for me many times. And as a result, I'm not always living in his truth and freedom. 
and have consequently not experienced joy regardless of my circumstances. If we have lost our joy, we may need to pray as David did in Psalm 51.12. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verse 13 continues on, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. The expression of joy that comes from the knowledge and acceptance of our salvation is the joy that will bring people to the Lord. Our greatest command is to go and make disciples of all nations. If we are Christians not living in the fullness of the joy of our salvation, how effective can we be? I think Mother Teresa puts it up very well. One filled with joy preaches without preaching. Our joy can have an enormous effect on those around us. So what steals our joy? Sin. Sin in a believer's life robs the person of joy because joy comes from a right relationship with God. Worry. Worry is allowing fear to dominate your life and not faith, thus strangling your joy. Thanklessness. Paul writes to the Romans about mankind. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. There's no joy there. Busyness, if it reduces our communion with God because joy comes from God. Battle of the mind and negative self-talk. Satan will remind you every day that you are hopeless and present all sorts of accusations to you. If we dwell on these thoughts and believe his lies, we will lose our joy. Comparison with others is the death of contentment. It kills our joy and robs us of our purpose in God. When we resent the goodness in others' lives, we are blinded to the blessings of God in our own. So how can we keep our joy? Sin. Confess it and deal with it early. Psalm 139, 23-24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So repent and turn from your sin and walk in the way everlasting. Worry. Replace worry with prayer. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And thankfulness, thanksgiving to God is a vitally important spiritual weapon which maintains our spiritual wholeness, therefore maintaining our joy, peace and confidence in him. Busyness. Set aside time with God and make that a priority and discipline in your life. The battle of the mind, negative self-talk. This has probably been the area that I have struggled with the most, especially in the area of negative self-talk. And these are some of the things that I have found to be really helpful for me. So number one, think about what you're thinking about. Does it line up with Philippians 4.8? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think 
about such things. We've got to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Number two, read and memorise scripture. This has been one of the most helpful things for me. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Scripture memory is one of our greatest weapons against the lies of the devil. Jesus sets us a great example within this when he responded to the devil with authority. It is written. And then he used scripture to deflect the devil's lies. We can do the same. When negative thoughts come, we can respond with scripture that we have remembered and hidden in our heart. Here are some examples of what we can say in our minds. I'm no good. Combat it with Jesus' words. It is written, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Or we can say, I can't do it. It is written, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or we might be saying, I'm afraid. It is written, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Or we might say, I'm lonely. It is written, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or I'm nothing special. It is written, I am made in the image of God. Combat the lies of the devil with God's truth and the truth will set you free. I can't emphasise enough the importance of scripture memory and preparing yourself now so that because we don't know what is ahead. In the book by Corrie Ten Boone, The Hiding Place, Corrie, her father, her sister and a number of others were taken into captivity by the Germans because they were discovered to be helping hide the Jews. This is what Corrie wrote about a time in the concentration camp. A group had gathered around Father for evening prayers. Every day of my life had ended like this. That deep, steady voice, that sure and eager confiding of us all to the care of God. The Bible lay back home on the shelf. There was no way there. But much of it was stored in his heart. He quoted from memory. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Hold me up and I shall be safe. The value of hiding God's word in our heart is priceless. At the start of the year, Mark was encouraging us to learn weekly Bible verses. Did we all learn them? Do we still know them? Let me put you to the test. Can anyone tell me the verse from Hebrews 12, 28 to 29? The value of hiding God's word in our heart is priceless. Mark gave us a great opportunity to learn the word, learn his word. Because I'll just tell you that verse now. It's easy for me because it's in front of me. But therefore, this was what it was, Hebrews 12, 28 to 20. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
What a great verse this is. It reminds us how awesome our God is. What an awesome God we serve. And it encourages us and it adds to our joy. That's the verse we can use when the, when the devil wants to attack us. We can grab these sorts of verses and use it against the devil. So number three in the battle of the mind, put on the armour of God. Battle with devil is in our mind and we have to be one step ahead. Helmet of, of salvation, his joy is a great barrier. Shield of faith to block out his fiery darts. Breastplate of righteousness, protect our heart. Arm yourself with the sword of the spirit, God's word. The belt of truth, his truth will set you free. And our feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Another very helpful thing to do is listen to worship music because it helps us to refocus ourselves back onto Jesus. Romans 8.6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Comparison with others. Be confident and content in who you are in Christ and your joy will be made complete. Like yourself, you are unique. You have a unique purpose in God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. No one else can perform the tasks that he has set aside for you. Paul in Philippians 4.12-13 says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Joy always is a choice. It's a bit like a marriage vow. I take you, joy always, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. I choose joy. It's a choice. Today, I choose joy. Well, all that has been about joy. That's just the first part of the passage in Thessalonians. Let's take a quick look at pray continually. I've wrestled with this, but as I've prayed and thought a lot about it, I've come to a deeper understanding that prayer is being in communion with God and having a spirit of dependence that permeates all that we do. It is about our whole life being in an attitude of faith, praying about all of our decisions and the issues facing us right through the whole day, living in an attitude of faith and Christ-likeness in whatever we do, say and think. Prayer is both talking and listening. It is being conscious of God in our life at all times. As we focus on listening to his still voice, we can dull out and block out the lies of the devil. So even when we're not speaking consciously to God, there is a deep abiding dependence on him that is woven into the heart of faith. In that sense, we pray or have the spirit of prayer continuously. The next part of the passage continues with, give thanks in all circumstances. We can't always choose our circumstances, but we can choose our attitude in those circumstances. 
By choosing an attitude to thank God, it changes our perspective, taking the focus away from ourselves and onto God. My husband David is in business and sometimes things can be going really well and other times things can seem like they are just crashing down everywhere around us. In those times, instead of getting that sinking feeling, which I often do, I have been working on responding to God with thanks. Thank you, God, that this isn't too big for you and that you can work it out. The change in my attitude then gives me a deep joy and a peace rather than feeling flat and depressed. If you're ever feeling flat, negative, not coping, just at your wit's end, I encourage you to say to yourself, am I being thankful? Look for things to be thankful for and give thanks to God. This change in our mindset causes a shift to occur and opens wide, open wides the door to his presence and his joy rains down. Every day may not be good, but there's something good in every day. Although I may not always feel joy, God asks me to give thanks in all things because he knows that the feeling of joy begins with the action of thanksgiving. Jesus at the Last Supper took the bread and fully knowing the pain he was about to suffer, he gave thanks. Thanks in all things, he sets the example for us. The Greek word for give thanks is eucharistio. You may remember when I spoke about joy, the Greek word is chara, which is wrapped up in the middle of eucharistio. So thanks and joy are very much related. The more thankful we are, the greater the joy we will experience. The secret of experiencing true joy is a life dedicated to thanking and praising God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. If God really works in everything, why don't we thank him for everything? Ephesians 5.19-20 says, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I heard this summary from Focus on the Family on Light FM um, recently, and I think it sums it up very well. It's called An Attitude of Gratitude. Let's have a quick listen. Studies in the field of positive psychology show that people who acquire an attitude of gratitude experience multiple advantages. I'm Deb Sorensen for Focus on the Family Australia. In one study, participants were divided into three groups. At the end of each week, a group wrote down five things they were grateful for, another group kept track of daily hassles, and a control group listed five random events. Findings revealed that those in the gratitude group generally felt better about their lives and were more optimistic about the future and reported fewer health problems. Further studies show gratitude improves emotional and physical health, strengthens relationships and improves learning. Cultivating an attitude of gratitude is a choice and it takes practice. It may mean we have to give up a victim mentality and let go of a sense of entitlement and acknowledge that we are recipients of unearned blessings. When the Bible says, in all things give thanks, it's not for God's benefit, but ours. For more family tips, find us on Facebook or visit families.org.au. So, can I encourage us all to live with an attitude of gratitude? 
it is for our benefit. Finally, the passage finishes with, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for me? Haven't we all said that at times in our lives? At times it isn't clear, but in this passage, Paul clearly says that, it is his, that his will is for us to be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. God knows what is best for us. Joy, prayer, and thanksgiving are all intermingled, and when exercised together, we can get high on Jesus. And what a great experience that is. So let us go back to the very beginning. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks always. Are you serious? Yes, I am. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your amazing love for us. Lord, please elevate our thinking and open our eyes so that we may see your presence in all situations. Help us to appreciate the abundance that surrounds us and activate the joy that is hidden within. No matter what comes our way, may we be able to respond with thanksgiving and experience your joy as a result. May we never lose or take for granted the joy of your salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.